Hello and welcome to the Bond Revisited podcast with me, Tom. And me, Joe. The podcast where we rewatch the Bond films one by one, discuss them, and then rank them alongside the other Bond films to build our own definitive list for the Bond franchise. You are listening to episode three, where we'll be revisiting the film Goldfinger. Now, I'm going to throw the ball straight over to you, Joe. Uh, I hope you're ready for this one. Because uh, I feel like you've had quite an interesting journey already with the Bond franchise where you you ranked Dr. No very low and then that ended up coming up. You ranked From Russia With Love very high and it sounds like that's going to come down. So I'm quite interested to see what your thoughts were going into Goldfinger. Well, that's a very, very good point because I'm going to be honest here. Before this podcast... I was pretty negative towards Goldfinger. I think it was it's it's the it's the big Bond film, isn't it? It's the yes. Bond film that so many people think of. So many elements in there, recognizable tropes that have come to be. And I always used to think a bit like, am I am I the crazy one here? Do I, why don't I like this as much as other people seem to? And so I kind of went into this with that mindset of am I missing something? Let's give this another go. Mm. And let's just say the results were very conclusive. That you're crazy. That I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, that, we'll that's, see. That's an interesting one because I, I actually didn't know you were quite uh, negative on the film beforehand. But as you know, when we did episode zero, I ranked this number three, I think, overall. And that mm. was largely based off back in 2015. I did a rewatch of Dr. No all the way up to Diamonds Are Forever, the Spectre storyline, basically. And out of all of those, I came away the most positive about Goldfinger, being like, yes, this is a classic film. There's so many iconic moments. It, it did a really good job. I can't remember why I said in episode zero, but I think I you know, said it was basically the ultimate Bond film and that you can really see that escalation from Dr. No, from Russia with Love, Goldfinger, and Goldfinger is where it comes all together. So... I was more excited about revisiting from Russia with Love last week than I was about going into Goldfinger. But my expectations were basically like, yeah, I know I love this film. I'm probably going to have a really good time with this one. So far, this podcast has been really fun. It's been really nice watching Bond. Although I do have to say, sitting down and putting that disc in, it is becoming quite routine. Like, I don't know how this is going to go, but this is like a very routine, like, okay, put the Bond film in, sit down, let's go. Tom, it's only episode three. You can't be saying that yet. <laughs> the, the honeymoon period's already over for me. Oh no, that didn't last very long. I am going to have to get the Fogca Martinis going. That's <laughs> that's plan, well, plan A, B, C and D. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I have a glass of wine next to me. You know, it's, just, it's just nice. You get a little, get the lamp on in the living room, get it nice and cosy. You can't Yeah, get it. ready to watch uh, Sean Connery slap a woman. It's you got to set the mood. It's it's a tradition in my household. Is <laughs> how Sean would have wanted it. <laughs> May he rest in peace. Yeah. But I feel like, and, and not to give anything away, where last week you were very positive about From Russia With Love, but actually saw quite a few problems. I'm, I have gone through something very similar with this film. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised. 
uh, I'm going to have to say, well, I thought this was going to be a great time. And I still had a good time for sure. But again, similar to what you had last week, I think I've had this week where it's like, I feel like I've kind of crashed down to earth with this film. Where it's like, yes, the stuff that is good, I still enjoyed. But there's way more stuff I didn't enjoy. And that I think are just like really bad things about this film that I was like, oh my goodness, what? No, say it's not so. This was meant to be a nice experience. Me and Joe just chatting Bond. But now I'm like, oh, I don't think Goldfinger's as good as I used to. This is a bummer. We're ruining our memories. We're ruining our childhoods, potentially. Well, the thing I'm very worried about is that if I can be a bit more down on Goldfinger than I used to, am I going to sync up with you? And when we watch Diamonds Are Forever, I'm like, you know what? There's some good elements. (laughs) You you will see the error of your ways soon enough. Oh, Am I going to yes. get a Team Bambi and Thumper t-shirt? Is that, what's, is that my future? <laughs> right, you're going to learn their names correctly at some point. I'm that is ba- make that's sure the right it. names. It's Bambi and Thumper, isn't it? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I, think it's Mr. I think it's Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid. I think. No, I'm talking about the women that he fights. Oh! Bambi and Thumper. I thought you were on about the creepy henchman. Dude, that's a whole other, like, I don't have time. I don't have time for this. We, we don't have time for this. This is no, the Goldfinger one. Yeah, that's uh, a whole other thing. I will say, though, I think that, I know that we've been saying this before, like, it's really good to be doing this and going back. But I, I, re- I, I feel so vindicated with today's podcast. And so already? I'm really, yeah, I, I do. Like I five really minutes do. in and you're already like, mm, yes. Mm. Yeah. And um, I just, I, I love going back to this and just, like with Doctor No. I like that more than I, I thought I would. Rush of Love, a little bit less than I remember. This one, I think I was spot on before, but it's just that different, it's that, the mixture, the mixture of those memories and opinions. I love that. I love reforming. So yeah, should we get into it? I think so. So first thing I have to say, hold my hand up here. When I put in that Blu-ray, you know, I've got my little ritual, as we already said. And I, you know, when you see the menu, it shows a few clips from the film. And my very first thought was like, oh yeah, odd jobs in this one. <laughs> Wait, what? How did you forget that? <laughs> I, got, I had no memory of odd job being in it. As, as soon as he saw it, I was like, yes, of course, odd jobs in Goldfinger. Of course he is. But initially when I sat down and when I was thinking about checking out this film again from the podcast last week, I was like, no memory of odd job, no memory at all. So my first thing I was like, oh yeah, of course. That's cool. Did you did you remember? Oh, an Aston Martin DB5. Yeah, <laughs> Sean Connery's in this one. Sean Connery. <laughs> I didn't know he made it. What? That's not a George Lazenby uh, film. I I think this is going to be very indicative of the whole film. Just you saying that. Yeah, I mean it's it's just weird, right? Because I guess Odd Job is one of the most famous characters or henchmen, I guess you would say. But I think it is it does kind of speak to the fact that I don't think of the henchman as much as I normally would with James Bond. And I don't know if that's because of the Daniel Craig era in particular, but if you said to me, Bond henchman, I'd probably just say Jaws. Mm. And then maybe knickknack for different reasons, but that would be about it. I don't think of the henchman that much. I think that this is a sign of elements of this film that have become so much bigger than actually where it came from so what i mean by that is everyone knows like austin powers has the guy that throws the shoe (laughs) who throws a shoe (laughs) right so good you think of stupid things like that but then Mm. it all actually it obviously it's odd job first but when you watch the film you realize oh 
not really that good odd job. But anyway, we'll get into that. But that's what I think is it's it's sort of what what this started as cliches and stuff. All those things just just like trump it now and actually make this look kind of sad. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Again, I mean, we should get into it, but it's it's this film is almost like the like in Sherlock where the whole it's elementary Watson, even though he never said that in the book. Yeah, it's just kind of taken on a life of its own and its own kind of branding to the point where the original source material kind of doesn't matter. Uh, of course, it does to some people, but in the grand uh, zeitgeist um, of that of that show, it doesn't it doesn't matter too much. Mm-hmm. But again, so we should, we'll get into it. So it starts again the opening sequence: the uh, Bond walking across. Very odd point I started with. Are those circles smaller? <laughs> Okay. Is that just me? <laughs> they looked smaller when they went across the screen. Possibly. I mean, the, the, the actual gun barrel itself is the same. It's the same as the first three, but I did not yeah. focus on the dots. Okay, well, I need to go back and check that, but that was my first thought. My, 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 no, my first thought was, oh, yeah, odd job. My second thought, <laughs> what's going on with those circles? What's going on here? That was a strange evening for you, wasn't it, Tom? <laughs> it was a bit of a weird one, yeah. But great news, very good start. The hat's still there. As uh, James Bond walks across the screen, still wearing the hat. Now that you pointed it out to me that that's not actual Sean Connery, I looked out for it. And now that I know it's so obviously not Sean Connery, mm-hmm. like they try to hide his face. But if you, Sean Connery is so distinctive that when you look at that guy, you're like, yeah, that's that's definitely not him. Yeah, I think I think it's the next one where it is actually him. It would make for Thunderball, that would make sense. I, I would understand that. Because I think that's the first one where it goes widescreen, so they had to re reshoot it. But was we'll he? So almost similar to From Russia with Love, we've got this opening scene, but something that's quite different about this opening scene is that this was specifically shot to go before the opening credits sequence. I get it so confused in my head, like opening sequence, opening credits. I always don't know what to call all of these different parts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's always confusing. But yeah, so we've got the Bond walking across and then it goes into this scene, which is, again, specifically shot for it. So it has a very different feel to what From Russia With Love was because they took that through editing. But similar to From Russia With Love, it's at night. It starts very quiet. The very first thing we see is a seagull going across the water (laughs) and then underneath the seagull we see james bond popping out of the water using a seagull as a disguise i don't understand what the disguise is if you're underwater surely you don't need the seagull because they can't see you because you're underwater no but tom you haven't thought about this bond's presence there has scared away the usual seagull that swims across that lake Ah. or whatever it is so they need to put it back yeah, so, <laughs> so you got odd job counting seagulls is that what yeah. you're saying <laughs> they know they're a precise amount can i just say also on this first this like literal first bit of the film really um where yeah bond comes up bird on his head i just think i'm gonna i'm gonna be negative about this film a lot i think in this podcast Great. i'm gonna get straight off like with a negative i just don't understand and there was elements of this in the previous in From Rush of Love where they had clearly kind of time remapped the footage, right? They often do it for, I don't know, car chases where they want to make it look faster or, or fight scenes maybe. 
And that makes sense, right? Because you can't actually, sometimes you can't go actually as fast as you want to, and you need to just give it that little bit extra. And we see it later on in the film in that in car You mean crash. speeding up the footage, essentially, right? Yeah, they, they basically like crank it up and just make it fast forward ever so slightly. Um, and they've done, they did that in the previous uh, In Frost of Love, and they've done it here, and it's literally the first thing you, you see, really. And it's not even an interesting, like, stunty move. It's Bond taking off the goggles. And if you watch it, it just looks weird. Like, they've, they've fast-forwarded him taking off the goggles. And straight off the bat, I was like, oh, this is just not great. Like, it's leaving a negative, negative taste in my mouth already with the first seconds of the film. <laughs> I didn't even notice that, to be honest. Although something that's been interesting about this rewatch is because we have to take notes, I do kind of look at my phone more than I normally would for a film. So something like that I could totally miss. So I would imagine I was just like... What's up with that seagull? <laughs> Just writing that I down. I gotta write this down. <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta. This is gr- gold, gold. Um, yeah. So I, pro- I probably just missed that, but that is that is a weird choice. I don't know why they would do that. I don't know why. Unless Sean just took too long to take his goggles off, and like, oh, we can't, re- we can't, we haven't got time for another a shot. Just do it. Put it in the can. We're done. Um, that was their best take. That was the best take. Twenty five shots. That was the best take. Um, but it comes up later on in the film as well. And I just think I just don't like it. It just looks a bit cheap. Hmm. So Sean Connery is now out of the water. He has taken off his goggles in fast motion. Uh, and he they don't really explain what's going on here. It's basically Bond doing some very vague spy stuff. So he comes out of the... Is he... Hold on, I'm trying to remember. Because eventually he wears a tux. But I think for most of this scene, he is still just in like a black... The, I think he might keep the wetsuit, right? Yeah, he's in the scuba, like the scuba suit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and something that's really nice about this, we talked about it in the last two episodes, how they just play the Bond theme at random places, like checking a picture or taking a taxi at the airport. But we get it, we finally have it, they're playing the Bond theme while he's actually doing spy work. And that alone made me very excited. About time, right? Yeah, Guy Hamilton came in and said, guys, like, guys, come on. It's not difficult, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are there any airport scenes in this film? Ooh. Oh, there is actually. Yeah, there is. But uh, not not like the, the terminal, but yeah, anyway. No. So it, it's a weird scene to kind of talk about this because we just have no context for it. It's a very quiet scene where he's kind of breaking into a place. He breaks into this big round room that I, I don't quite understand what it was. Um Finds some nitro barrels, these big red barrels, squeezes some plastic explosives over it, sets it up to explode, uh, and then switches out of his wetsuit to uh, the very kind of... I was going to say the very classic white tux, but I'm not too sure if this is as classic as some of his other suits. That's the thing. It does have that image of being Bond in the white tux, and this is the first time you see it with the red red flower. Um, But... I don't know how many times the white tux has actually come up in the Bond films. Most recently, it was Inspector. Yeah, but, but I associate it more with Roger Moore than Sean Connery. Really? Uh, I think so. Like, I, I mean, I guess we'll get there, but this scene is so short, and I don't think Sean Connery wears this white tux ever again. Hmm. I will say, I mean, even if the white tux thing, yeah. Maybe it's not as classic as people think. I think the image of him sort of like out of the wetsuit straight into the it's it's a cool it's a cool look. 
Yeah. It's um because this whole pre-title sequence of blowing up um I think it's meant to be like some drug lord, I think anyway, Ramirez, I, I remember hearing. Um it's all just a bit like, okay, just go go for the go for the ride because you're not being explained and you think it is its own little story. But then yeah. you do have you have these kind of cool shots to save it. And I think this is one of the ones that just makes it worthwhile. Yeah, so he yeah, sets it all up to blow, sets it to uh, blow after a certain time, and then he goes into a nearby bar in his white suit. And as he's hanging out at the bar, some woman's doing some dancing. It, it, I'm not too. They focus on her a lot in this scene. The camera really lingers on her. So I guess that's more. Hey, women! It's fun <laughs> yeah, film. I, I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder. We'll never figure that one out. We got like 22 more episodes of this to get to the bottom of this mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it blows up, and Bond does the very typical thing of acting cool and casual and being like, mm, "That's crazy. What's what's going on here?" While everyone kind of freaks out. Then it very quickly cuts to a naked woman in a bath. He has some unfinished business. Yes, unfinished business. Unfinished business. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going through this quite quick, but it's kind of how this is paced, this whole thing. It's there's not, not super much. quick. Yeah, there's not yeah. much to it. Like he goes in, uh, starts having a bit of a canoodle with the, the dancing lady. Um, and... <laughs> I have to laugh at it because it is it is funny. But yeah. Oh no, there's a bad guy still in the room. Yes. How does Bond realise there's a there's a bad guy about to was it is he meant to is he about to club him or Yeah, he's got a, some sort of blunt. Yeah, a blunt weapon. He sees him in the reflection of the woman's eye. <laughs> yeah, it's a very silly it's all very silly where he's making out with this naked woman somewhat creepily, and then yeah, he looks in the eye and it I guess for the year this scene was shot it looked okay yeah it's just so hard to buy as a premise like how reflective and are this woman's eye like if she had glasses on maybe right Mm, that's now that's quite logical there yeah Yeah, but just eyes I, i i've never tested this but this has definitely made me want to test this get someone up close look in their eyes have someone try to attack me from behind and see if i can see them with their shoe about to hit me i would guess not and then when you when you do it will work believe me i've, I've i know the science behind this oh, okay, uh, nice. great when you do see him in the reflection of the eye what do you do you flip them around so they get the whack yeah <laughs> like bond does <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I shouldn't laugh at that but it's just it, it this is going to come up as always it reminds me so much of austin powers with the with the lady and i think it's gold member and he's why won't you die? This woman keeps on getting hit by everything, taking hits for Austin <laughs> Powers. Um, yeah, so he just you know throws throws her in front of him, um, and then gets into a little bit of a, a fight with this this random baddie. Yeah, we don't know who this is. We barely know who the woman is. It's just Bond kind of in this hotel situation because he's always in hotel rooms. Um, that's a that's a staple. And then he's having this fight, which is a very just kind of whatever fight. They just kind of throw each other around the room a little bit. And that's about yeah. it. It's a bit crap, the fight. It is, it's just a little bit half-hearted. And I would say it's only just about saved with the line. <laughs> As yeah. we've been saying about how Bond's getting better and better at the, at the quips and the pithy comments, this is one of the best. This is one of the best when... Uh, after the struggle with a baddie, Bond throws him into the bathtub where uh, his gun is, 
with a baddie's about to shoot him with his own gun. What does Bond do? Swipes over a fan that's plugged in and electrocutes the guy in a bathtub and leaves with the quote. Oh, you want me to say it? I was going to leave it for you. Oh, okay. Uh, Shocking, positively shocking. There you go. There it is. I I say that quite a lot, actually. Oh, do you? When I'm throwing things into bathtubs to kill Uh, bad guys. When the murder happens. Yeah. Yeah, It's a staple. It's, It's a good line. Yeah, when you, as we've already said, you can see people through eyeballs, uh, which is very handy. I've learned a lot from Bond films over the years. <laughs> so this whole sequence is is one of those where I think I wasn't that into this, uh, to be honest. I feel like the From Russia With Love one, for as kind of shorter as it was, was much more effective in terms of setting up stuff in the film but also being a self-enclosed, cool little scene. Like, yes, you didn't really know what was going on, but it kind of used it to its advantage to kind of, you know, take you by surprise at the end, as well as setting up some stuff for later on. So it was, like, so effective in so many ways, that scene. This one is purely just a standalone Bond short. It's it does somewhat tie into the film because they say I'm getting up or Bond says in the bar, I'm going to Miami next. And then later, you know, when it, we cut to Bond again later, he's, he is in Miami. So checks out, I guess it mm. just feels like such a self-enclosed Bond thing that back then I would imagine was really cool. Like, right. We've had two films. It's all very exciting. Goldfinger coming out. Like it's Goldfinger. Those are all very exciting to see the first five minutes of Goldfinger be this like action sequence where Bond basically goes through the checklist of being stealthy, explosions, expensive suits, women, quips. It's like a big checklist. So then it was probably really cool. But going back to it where we've seen there's so many Bond films out there with a lot of the stuff we see in this scene being done better in other Bond films, it just kind of makes it feel a little bit just limp and pointless, in my opinion. I would 100% agree. I think it was, as you say, just a little bit limp. I think big, big old Fireball, great, 1964 People would have loved that. They love giant fireballs, I'm sure. And don't get me wrong, it's a good explosion. Oh, yes. But, yeah, what, what, what do you actually get in this scene? You get a kind of really kind of lame fight. Um, and that's, that's it. That is it. And I think you're right. Like, From Us Have Loved did it far more successfully and linking it into later points of the film. So um, not a great start for me, going to be honest. Yeah, I kind of agree. This didn't kind of sour the film. I was just kind of surprised at the end where, you know, the the last moment is good with the positively shocking. I do I do like that line. I think it's a nice line to to end on. But there's just no there's no context for it. It's just here's a little bond short. And yeah, as we say back then, it was probably very cool. But nowadays, I think you kind of expect a little bit more from the opening and they do need to tie into the film itself. Or if they don't tie into the film itself, it really needs to stand alone as its own kind of action sequence, which I I do believe other films have done. I couldn't name any off the top of my head, but you could still have a really solid self-enclosed action sequence. But this kind of wasn't that. It was just the Bond checklist. Yep, it's Bond. Okay, done. You, you know what you're in for. I suppose this was... This is the pre-title sequence, and yeah, it's the first example of it being a standalone thing, but it doesn't have what I think later pre-t- pre-title sequences will have, which is 
one big stunt, like the big, one big thing to kick off the film. And it, no matter what happens before, it always will end on this big stunt. Um, I'm just thinking of things like, you know, the parachute in The Spy Love Me or even one film later with Moonraker and, and uh, uh, falling down and, you know, Jaws and Bond in the air. Like it has these big standout stunts. And this one, because it just, it, maybe because it is that first one that does it in this way where it's a standalone thing, it doesn't really have anything of that magnitude. And I think... To be honest, carrying on with this idea of, oh, From Russia With Love kind of did it better. I kind of have to say the same thing about the title sequence itself as well. Oh. It's, it's very similar. Very, it's very spicy similar. in here. It is. I love the spice. Um, but same principle of projected credits on women's bodies, this time painted gold for obvious reasons. But... And this is really, a, it's not a massive thing at all. I mean, it's just the credits, right? But I just still think From Russia With Love did it better. I think uh, in terms of the theming of having sort of the dancers in the first film, and I just thought it was more interesting to look at, whereas this one, it was very static and very forgettable. Now, I'm going to have to go ahead and disagree with you there, Joe. Oh, okay. Oh, good, good. Yeah, so I liked the From Russia With Love one. I probably did like it more overall, but that's because I just liked that song. As I already kind of explained last week, uh, I really liked that song. It's one of my favorite Bond instrumentals. So I would kind of pick it over this one just purely based on that. But if I kind of took that part of it away, the actual visuals, I enjoyed this more. I thought there was something so kind of striking with having these golden women be like they they look like statues like they're completely still and i think that kind of has such a different energy to what the from russia with love one has where it was very movement based and i like that as well but i think as a contrast to that film and in terms of what eventually happens in this film was gold i thought this was really clever and i thought this was really cool it's the same ba- uh, black background it's still kind of women and uh, on stage and stuff so i think one thing they did change in this one was that it rather than having the credits projected onto the women they instead just had it over the top and then it was scenes of the film that were projected mm. onto the women um oh, which i'm right. not too fast about yeah. either way I, I think it was kind of nice to see kind of some clips from future in the film although i want to say there were some clips from like from russia with love in there as well oh really i didn't catch that yeah it was the the helicopter scene was in oh, there oh okay hmm I was a little bit confused because I was like, is there a helicopter scene in this film? I don't really remember that. But they have a shot of Sean Connery wearing the hat, or probably not Sean Connery, and then the little yellow helicopter coming across. And I was like, that's interesting. They would they would pick that clip for this. Yeah, I, I really did not notice that. Uh, and I think, I suppose on the topic of the title sequence, you can't really uh, avoid talking about the music, mm. um, which everyone knows, Goldfinger probably one of the most famous Bond songs, uh, Shirley Bassey, of course. And again, I I might get a lot of backlash for this. It's a good Bond song, right? It's great. You've got the the first few notes, like they're proper boom in your face, right? Oh, they're so good. So good. And I I, I maintain that watching it and listening to it as part of this title sequence, great. However, however... Goldfinger is never a song that I would listen to on its own. And I I 
can't say that for other Bond film, uh, other Bond songs. Other Bond songs, I think, are great, and I would listen to them, you know, if it just came up on a shuffle or something like that. Goldfinger, I just think, is one of those songs where it has to be with the film. Otherwise, I find it a bit irritating. I'm going to also join you down here and <laughs> say I, I actually 100% agree. <laughs> and it's actually kind of scary because I was thinking the exact same thing where it's like this film in terms of Bond history and uh, watching this title sequence, fantastic. It is great. It is so iconic to the franchise. And Shirley Bassett does have an amazing voice. And that, ba- like you say, those opening two notes going from the, the opening sequence into the, the title credit sequence is awesome. And it really does have that really big sound that I do enjoy. But, like you say, would never just kind of like, in the mood for a bit of Goldfinger. <laughs> yeah, I'm going for really a run, up. I'll just put a bit of Goldfinger on. <laughs> it's like it's, yeah, it only works in the context of the film. And like you say, there's other ones later, and this is going to be more of a personal choice. But even the From Russia With Love theme and the Bond theme itself, I would kind of listen to outside of the film and still be able to enjoy. But Goldfinger without the film, it, yeah, it just doesn't work. It's so entrenched to the film and the franchise. I just can't listen to it as a as a normal song by itself. Yeah. I'm sorry, Shirley Bassey. I thought you were great at the Royal Albert Hall, but um, mm. <laughs> don't come after me. No, I, I, I think you're okay. Good. She's probably quite slow. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> but also, just briefly, I mentioned in my notice that with the, the visuals they put on the women throughout, that at the very end for the last few shots, it's actually just fire, which I don't know how that ties into the rest of the film, but at the time, I was like, that's really cool that it's gone from these clips to just this fire. It actually looks very intense and quite intimidating. But now looking back, I have no idea what they're referencing. I just It was just a cool shot, and that's probably all it was. A bit of fire on the women. Yep, looks good. That's probably it. I mean, there is lots of fire in this film, but uh, I think your your idea makes more sense. They just thought, oh, we need, we've, got, we've got 20 more seconds. What are we going to do? Fire! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and also in this title sequence, we can see that the director has changed. I think I, I mentioned him already, but instead of uh, Terence Young, we now have Guy Hamilton, who I, I don't know anything about their other work. But I definitely did get a different sense with this film. I think you can definitely sense that there's a different person behind the camera and someone directing this instead. Um there's a few things I noticed that was different, but I'm not a director. I'm not someone who knows a lot of this kind of stuff or, or things like that. But I guess we'll get into them as we get into them. But yeah, this does have a little bit of a different feel, despite being a sequel to uh, From Rush With Love. Yeah, and he he ends up doing quite a lot, doesn't he, Guy Hamilton? He sticks around. Yeah, yeah, he becomes... I don't think he did as many as Terence Young, but he definitely did multiple films. Oh, okay. Because... Was Guy is Guy Hamilton the one that is even as far as into um, Roger Moore films? He, oh, maybe I'm getting might, mixed up. There, there's not many directors for Bond early on, for sure. Like it was only until like the 80s that I think they started to mix it up. So you mm. might be right. I'm not too sure on that, but they were definitely using the same people for a good long time. Yeah, and actually, one of the things you say about different different feelings to this film which we'll get onto later but that's definitely evident for me and when i read this it made a lot of sense too about in particular guy hamilton's vision of the bond character and the personality Mm. of bond as i say it will come up later on 
So after the credits, we get a nice uh, helicopter flyby of a fancy looking hotel in Miami. And uh, Bond's on holiday after that uh, great job destroying the nasty drug lord guy in the pre-title sequence. Uh, he's been on holiday, um, having a nice time, having a massage and all that sort of stuff. And we get Felix Leiter back in a different form, <laughs> new actor. Uh, and he's there to tell Bond about uh, Auric Goldfinger. But before we get into that, can I just say, I really, I really don't like this new Felix. I mean, there wasn't really oh. much of the old Felix, really, to, to, to like or not. But to me, I always envisioned, and I think this is from the books as well, is that Bond and Felix are meant to be of a, a similar age. They're meant to be sort of, you know, counterparts, one in the CIA, one in MI6. And to me, this guy just seems a bit too old. I, I can definitely see that. And I also do have to mention that we sp- talked about Dr. No for two and a half hours and never mentioned Felix in this film. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I that think I just true. said it, the CIA American agent because I'll be honest, I didn't. It didn't click to me that it was Felix uh, when I was first watching it. It was kind of more after the fact. And uh, yeah, apologies for that one. This is technically Felix's second appearance, where he was actually a, a decent part of Doctor No. Although I guess one of the more minor characters, he was no uh, quarrel for sure. No, no one could match quarrel. But yeah, I don't know. Just something I thought, and I think I'm probably I'm probably seeing that with the whole idea of what we see uh, Felix Leiter being later on in the films, or even then he's quite old in some of the other films. Maybe they never really get Felix right. But anyway, um, yeah, he, he's there to meet Bond, who is, as I say, on holiday, and tells him about this... Uh, I don't know how much they reveal straight away about the gold smuggling, but basically that this Auric Goldfinger guy is uh, probably up to no good, and they need Bond's involvement in... Um, watching him basically Hmm. it's a very different approach to what we've seen before where with dr no it was setting up what's going down in jamaica and then eventually it kind of gets to bond and from rush with love even more setup like a massive amount of setup before we even get to bond but this film kind of completely flips that on its head where we straight away see Bond, we straight away see some action and things like that, and then we straight away get Bond get introduced to the villain, because the guy, yeah, Felix tells him, hey, Goldfinger is not a good egg, we need him looking into, and then it just so happens they're at the exact same resort where Goldfinger is staying, and they see him go and sit down to play cards with somebody. And this happens all just, like, instantly, um, so there is kind of some like benefits to this because it does allow the film to kind of breathe a little bit more, but straight away from what you were saying about Guy Hamilton and the character, but the character of Bond feels different to me uh, to a certain degree because of this choice, because Bond is straight away shown in your face because straight away it's about Bond and it's about Goldfinger and there's no time to kind of set everything up. So you kind of get things more from Bond's point of view where I feel like the other films maybe sticking closer to the book allowed you to see a little bit more third person and the everything else that was going on yeah you're very much along for the ride with bond in this film and (laughs) uh sorry i'm just laughing at one of my notes one of the quotes from this very early scene in miami which is one of many sort of moments um 
particularly of the early Bond films, is is when Felix goes up to <laughs> Bond and kind of gets uh, the conversation going, and and uh, Bond just tells the the woman to um, slaps her on the bottom and man talk, and kind of <laughs> gets her away. It's just think like those sort of scenes. You just look back and you think, oh my goodness. But yeah, um, it doesn't get any better from there. <laughs> definitely not in this film. Uh, no. But I think the introduction of uh, Goldfinger so early on in the film, obviously, yeah, very different to previous ones where they have kept, uh, for example, you know, Doctor No hidden until pretty much the end of the film. Um, Blofeld in the fir- in the last film, not even shown at all, really. Whereas this one, they just get him right out the gate. He's coming down the steps in his little his little beach shorts and, <laughs> and yellow yellow jacket. And I actually think this is one of the kind of redeeming qualities of Goldfinger is that they get him out quick because he's probably my favorite thing about this film, Goldfinger himself. I think the actor, I can't I always forget his name. It's the same guy from um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, uh, Gert, Gert something, I want to say. Anyway, he he has such a great presence in the film and is kind of whether intentional or not, quite funny. So I like having this this kind of um, uh, reversal of Bond villains where instead of keeping them kind of this enigmatic hidden character, they just get him out right in the open and, and actually kind of make a few jokes on his behalf and make him seem a little bit more human than previous ones, maybe. Yeah, Goldfinger, I don't know if I would describe him as a complex character, because that doesn't seem fair. But he's definitely one that you can't quite put your finger on for quite a lot of the time on screen. Because sometimes he can be intimidating, sometimes he can be quite tough and smart, and sometimes he can just be a complete, pathetic, sweaty idiot. (laughs) Um, And you just don't know where you stand with Goldfinger. And it kind of works. And I think it probably does work because of the actor, like you say. He just kind of makes that work. When he needs to be more intimidating, he can pull it off. When he needs to be that goofy guy who's kind of insecure and doesn't quite feel right in himself and it's just out of shape he can kind of do that too but i completely agree that it's nice to you know we had two films in a row where it's all about a mysterious villain a villain being out in the open is actually really cool in a very different way and i'm glad they kind of picked this and presented it in that way because you're kind of like okay straight away we're getting into this let's kind of see how this develops and most of this film bond and goldfinger are kind of together at least very close and that's that's cool And, and it's cool to see it kind of progress throughout the film um i i wouldn't say they have like a personal connection it's just they're always together <laughs> and that's that builds something uh quite different from the other villains yeah yeah well, they're always together and that's one of the curious curious actions of of goldfinger in the film later on but anyway uh we soon kind of see a little bit of character development of him you're right he's not a complex character but you soon very quickly see that he is a character that is uh he hates losing. He will cheat by any means necessary. He's cheating at that game of gin rummy in the in the hotel. And that's where we sort of get the next scene of, of Bond doing a little bit of uh, spying, <laughs> who would have thought, mm-hmm. uh, and, and noticing how he's cheating, which is he has a, an assistant up on the balcony with a telescope looking at the cards of the other player. And so Bond goes up there in his little skimpy blue... I don't even know what that outfit is, to be honest with you. I don't know how you would describe that. But um, 
we get the introduction of I wrote down her name Jill 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 Masterson yes and I'm gonna be very to the point I don't really like this character and I don't really like this interaction between her and Bond um it's all just very it's kind of a bit stupid and I, I maybe this is the whole point maybe this is that guy Hamilton element coming in of of not making Bond a superhero and not making him uh, without errors because Bond just immediately goes up and gets on like the intercom to to Goldfinger and basically reveals who he is and and that he knows what he's up to and kind of like you would think not do a very good job as a spy um so yeah this happens very very quickly and then of course you have bond and and uh, jill have a very kind of awkwardly slow kiss and i think that's what made it creepy to me <laughs> maybe i'm over focusing on it but it's just like this kiss usually it's like yeah that's just a kiss scene between bond bond and, and the bond girl but I think it's just she leans over so slowly towards him on on her deck chair. I was like, "Oh, fast forward, get this over and done with." <laughs> so I kind of agree, uh, but when I was watching it, I was of that mindset of like, "This is all a bit silly." Where Bond has been told to spy on someone, so the first thing he does is go upstairs, interrupt his game, antagonize him directly, and then makes makes out with the the woman that he's paying to help him out. It all seems a little bit silly, but I like where it goes. Um, and I like, I don't know how intentional this was, but I very much see this as a Bond going over the top and intentionally making me like, this is all going too well. Bond is just doing stuff he shouldn't be doing. And then in the very next scene, he is like punished for it. So I I like how it pays off. But yes, the actual scene itself with him and Jill is a bit like, I don't really want to see this. But I like how there is, the film does kind of acknowledge that maybe he went too far and there is kind of a little bit of karma there and it does bring Bond back to Earth. So ultimately, I like it. I think what kind of ruins it is that there are very similar scenes like this later in the film where there isn't that kind of self, you know, they don't acknowledge that, yeah, this was actually too far and you just kind of have to go with it and apparently support Bonded what he's doing. And that's what kind of ruins this scene a little bit. But for what they were doing in an enclosed space with Bond antagonizing Goldfinger and then getting punished for it afterwards in quite a iconic and striking way, I, I do like this scene even if it's like initially when you watch it, it's a little bit off. Yeah. Yeah. That the whole element of, so you just mentioned it there about his sort of comeuppance of it. So yeah, he uh, obviously beds, beds the woman um, and you get the scene with um, <laughs> I, this scene. I did. I do remember the scene, but not for the, not for the obvious reasons of the woman painted in gold lying on the bed. I always remember the scene because of one of the lines that Bond says about the Beatles. Uh, about the Beatles, I just think it's like to, to talk about like ages like milk lines, like that's got to be up there. Yeah, I think he says something like it's like listening to Beatles without earmuffs. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, he goes to go uh, get some more champagne, I think, whilst they're in bed. Um, and I thought of you when I saw this, Tom. Another judo oh, chop, another judo chop to the shoulder. Yeah, it loves it. I think every they, film so far, it's all about it, the karate judo chops. Every film so far, they loved them. They loved them. Um, and Bond wakes up, and yeah, as you say, we get the, the striking image of Jill Matheson painted in gold, uh, which apparently causes 
skin suffocation. I think might need to get that fact checked. But um, yeah, that's the whole element of uh, a little bit of a, a personal vendetta. And that's actually kind of what M mentions a little bit in the next scene where Bond is, is at M's office. And that kind of actually, that surprised me that they they had this kind of strand of a plot so early on in the franchise. When you think of Bond and personal vendettas and it doesn't do it in this film, but, you know, working outside of MI6 and going rogue. I always associate that sort of storyline with Timothy Dalton and obviously now Daniel Craig films much later on. But there is an element of that in this film. And that sort of that did surprise me. It's not huge. Don't get me wrong. It's nothing. It doesn't really go very far. But, you know, fair play to him for doing something like that so soon. Yeah, it seems like it's something that does kind of go nowhere. I feel like it's kind of mentioned because yeah, M says to him, uh, this isn't a personal assignment, 007. But like the reason why it's personal is because James Bond made it personal, which makes it all a little bit weird. And like, I can, like, how am I supposed to be supporting for James Bond? Like, obviously I'm not supporting Goldfinger here, but it's a little bit messy. Like Bond did go up to him, but there's no like Bond learning his lesson after the fact. It's simply, you get a very somber scene, like, you know, cause they do treat it quite seriously where Bond walks into that, walks into the room and finds her dead is quite a sad scene. It's just then cuts to M kind of like uh, doing his usual thing, like Bond, what are you doing? And Bond not really kind of pushing back. But then straight away, when Bond actually goes out on mission again, there's like no impact to any of this at all. It's just like, naughty Bond, you got that woman killed. Where as soon as Bond sees gold, well, I guess there's one scene but he just says, like, oh, there's one scene that ties back to it. But again, that very much just goes out the window, like, instantly, pretty much. Um, but yeah, yeah, I didn't really see this as Bond kind of going out against MI6 and kind of doing his own thing. Oh, I no. just saw it as in, like, he went too far, so he gets knocked back down. But I feel like M was already kind of knocking him down in the other films anyway. It's just kind of par for the cause. It's just this time, like, M had a very good reason. It's like, you got someone killed, although he doesn't really seem to care about that. He just wants him to go after Goldfinger and investigate properly and not antagonize him. But of course, he does antagonize him a lot throughout this film. So it's like, okay, I, I don't know what the point of that was. Well, I think there there must have been an idea of using the whole Bond feeling remorse for what happened to Jill because of the fact that we get her sister as another character. Yes. And this is later on in the film, but what do you know? The same thing happens to her and she dies. And and that feels like the wasted opportunity. I just don't think we were at that level level yet where Bond is would show such emotions. Like we're used to now Daniel Craig and getting like real insight into into the character of Bond and the, the emotional turmoil of being a double O agent that just wasn't here yet. There's it's barely scratches the surface. No, but I still really like the scene of finding the woman on the bed. Like it is very like, Oh wow. Okay. Um, she wasn't as shiny as I remember. Wasn't as shiny. <laughs> uh, the guard was a little bit duller than I thought. <laughs> Wait, so the dots are too small and you're not shiny enough. Yeah. I don't know if it's my TV or something, but something's up. Uh, I thought she was. I thought the shininess was was fine. Personally, I was happy with the shininess. You're happy with the shininess. Good shininess. My happiness. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Confirmed. Okay. 
Put it at number one. There we go. Get it ranked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as we mentioned, the next scene is about Bond then going to get his briefing from M. And can I just say, something that actually made me laugh m- way more, way more than it probably should have. But we were saying in a, in a previous podcast, Bond's little stunt of throwing the hat on the, the hat stand and how it's really not that impressive of a <laughs> of a move to do. You think you can do it, Tom. That's right. Yeah, um, I can do that. And so they sort of have a, a little gag on on that behalf in this film where uh, Money Penny just does it really casually, <laughs> like it's nothing, and you just get this sort of double take from from Bond, and I just loved it. I just thought, and it actually kind of goes on a little bit longer in the scene. You can still tell he's like thinking about what Money Penny just did, <laughs> and it's probably really annoying him. I just thought that was really funny. Yeah, it was great. So after talking to M, it's actually quite a short scene with M, where M's just like, "We'll have dinner with this man tonight. Be here." Uh, and then 007 leaves, talks to Money Penny, and yeah, Bond picks up the hat from the hat rack, walks over to Money Penny. Money Penny then steals the hat and just not without even looking. I don't think she's even looking. Just throws it, and then it lands on the hat rack. Now a little movie magic does happen here because what? they do cut. <laughs> no, <laughs> I know, right? I'm sure she did it for real. I'm sure she did. Uh, but they cut between the scenes. Like with the Sean Connery one in the last film, you do see it completely. But this one, she just kind of throws it to the side and then they cut to a shot of it landing. And then as you say, James Bond is clearly kind of thinking about it. But this is the Money Penny kind of chemistry I really like with them, uh, where Money Penny's also like, hey, let's have dinner. And then he's like, I've got some business. Uh, and then <laughs> Sean, and, is that you? <laughs> the special guest star. Uh, <laughs> back from the dead for one more. Um, wow. But no. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff I really liked. And I think it's why it initially, when I said in the Doctor No episode about that scene kind of creeping me out, it was just a lot to begin with. And this sort of stuff, I think they've really got the chemistry down 100%. Uh, and it's just really nice to have the back and forth and the hat scene as a continuation from the last one. It's like these interactions at this point in the series are just so good. Like uh, very enjoyable having those two on screen. It's such a short scene. And it, it just, yeah, it really it really works by this point. They've got it They've got it figured out, this, this kind of back and forth and this rapport. And... Um, yeah, it, I think that's the only time she's in the film, Money Penny. Oh, yeah, we do see M again, but I don't think Money Penny's there. So, you know, a good fleeting appearance, I would say. Yes, and then this fades to the next scene. The fades are still here, by the way. I don't know oh, if you're yes. keeping an eye on that. I noticed a couple. Yeah, so it fades to Bond M uh, and a colonel. I don't know his name. Um, all sitting around a table in tuxes having some dinner, which looks very lovely. And this is when I started to notice the fact that it was a different director, because we get a lot of shots like this, where this scene begins with them all on this massive table, but all sitting at one side of it. And the camera starts zoomed in, and then for a good long time, it zooms out to show the entire room and kind of have this feeling of how big this table is and how big this, uh, you know, the the room is in general and we actually get quite a few of these and i think it's something that guy hamilton does a good job of of there's so many times where he has a camera shot where everything feels big he takes a room that potentially isn't super big and just makes it feel big uh the most iconic one is probably fort knox which we'll get to but yeah this is the 
I don't know if this was put in here intentionally to make those other shots feel more natural because we've already seen something like that. But this is the first one of those. It's a big long zoom out and then we get to see this nice big shot of this big room. Um, And we get a few of those as the film goes on. I think it's probably linked to the fact that they just had a crap ton more money for this film. You know, with three films or two films in, they've done really successfully. And I I think I read that like the budget for this was um, more than the first two combined. Mm. Um, And so they had more money to spend on these sets. I think it might have even been Ken Adam was back for this one. He wasn't in the, the second. So, yeah, probably just, you know, showing off with this with the sets and and as you say the camera moves as well yeah that would make the most sense because when i was watching this scene i was trying to figure out why they would do it and i actually rewound it and watched it again and it probably is from what you're saying about the budget and things like that but for me i would imagine it's just to set up other scenes so they make it uh, feel a little bit more organic and basically these three are sitting around having dinner and they're talking about goldfinger that's something that's very cool as well about this film where it's all very geared towards goldfinger like every single scene is geared towards goldfinger in some way so we already talked about how we already saw him straight away and then when m is talking it's about goldfinger and then they cut to this next scene and it's about them talking about goldfinger and things like that like it's all geared towards this one point i don't know how many times they say goldfinger throughout this film but it's going to be way more than they ever said about dr no or specter or you know anything like that in the previous film like he is a constant presence even though you know there's a lot of scenes he's simply not in that is true i would say though despite the fancy camera shot despite the fancy set and this nice long table bottle of brandy fancy dinner black tux the scene itself is actually quite dull. It's 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 very plot. It's just get the plot out of the way. Let's just tell the audience, right? He smuggles gold. We need to we need to tell the audience what Bond needs to do. Find out, get some evidence of the illegal smuggling of gold. How is he doing it? And it's it's very much a the Bank of Engl- England colonel guy says this. Bond replies, and then there's maybe like couple little lines from m there's a a weird thing about the brandy in here i'm not quite sure what that was meant to to kind of show or signify about m having bad taste maybe and maybe being a bit one-upped by bond in that regard but i didn't it's a bit strange really but yeah i think the actual scene it it does what it needs to do which is just explain the plot but it's kind of a little bit like okay hmm, let's move on then Yeah, I kind of agree, and I can't remember if he said this during the podcast or before we came on, but something that's kind of interesting about this film is this is the film I remember least after re-watching it so soon, where I had Dr. No and From Russia With Love in my head so clearly uh, ready for this podcast, but there's quite a bit of this film where it's like, I actually don't remember it super well, even though I just saw it. You remember the iconic scenes, but this is just one of those where like, if I didn't have my notes or if you didn't mention it, wouldn't have even thought about it at all it's just as you say they just talk he's like here's some nazi gold bond's like thanks very much i appreciate that uh then he's sent on his way uh to to the next scene um and there's a, quite a few scenes like this where it's just like yep that was a that was certainly a, a scene of people talking <laughs> i will say compared to not really Dr. No, because we, we mentioned how that was such a simple plot. From Russia with Love, there were a few points, even in the podcast, where we were saying like, oh, is that 
is that what happened or is, was that that this film i think is probably it does the best job of of very clearly laying everything out I, I didn't really have to struggle following the plot apart from one thing at the end which i will moan about um so i guess like yeah it was successful in what it was doing there was never any sort of worry about missing out on a beat because it it was all quite clear to me yeah, I felt I was very surprised rewatching this film where we talked about Doctor No being very simplified and it's just Bond goes to Jamaica and stops Doctor No and goes to an island and there's a dragon. And then from Russia with Love is a lot more storylines more intensely told, but they both kind of have quite fast pacing. I feel like this film has slower pacing than both of those, and I was actually quite surprised how the plot felt closer to Doctor No to me than from Russia with Love. The yeah. one thing that separated it from Doctor No is that it takes place in two kind of major locations and in general they're moving around a lot. So there is kind of more of a sense of more going on from that standpoint. But in terms of the story, I felt like it was closer to Doctor No. There's just not a lot of other stuff going on here. It's just Bond versus Goldfinger, which, you know, has pros and cons. It's nice because it does kind of set this up as a well it's a bond versus a villain and a villain that's got a lot of stuff kind of going on and he has to do spot you know it's, that's interesting from that kind of standpoint but i was very surprised i didn't expect this to be as basic as it was goldfinger has a scheme and bond has to kind of stop that scheme and that's kind of it really yeah yeah there's a there's a little there's a sort of spanner in the works in in so much as it doesn't really go to plan as we'll see but apart from that, yeah, it, it is a very, it is quite a simple plot, which is not a bad thing. Not for me when I'm making <laughs> notes and potentially missing things. But anyway, um, after the dinner table scene, uh, we get our first proper Q branch scene. We had yes. Q in the previous film with the attaché case. It was just a little demonstration. We now get the whole shebang with the the concrete walls and the the weird experiments going on in the background, but it, well, I guess it wasn't that weird. It was a bulletproof vest, I think, in this one, one of the things you saw, which is quite sensible. Um, and we get Q, Desmond Llewellyn, back again to show off uh, the Aston Martin DB5, of course. And one thing that I, one thing that I wasn't expecting in my head, this scene had it was played a lot more for laughs. It actually, really isn't. There's maybe a couple bits, like a couple. Uh, reactions from Bond as, as Q's kind of outlining what the car can do and, and things like that. But it is actually still quite sensible and and, and just matter of fact. Uh, it's good to see Q more, but I would say we're still not at that level of, of the um, the relationship between the two characters. It's definitely still growing. Oh, I don't know. See, I actually have a different thought. I thought this was pretty much there, but I might just be focusing more on the dialogue where there are so many classic lines that you expect Q to say in this scene. It's like, now pay attention, 007, and he's uh, uh, asked for it to be returned intact this time, 007. And it's like, I never joke about my work. Like, 
it it has all those classic lines that I associate with Q in this scene. So for me, I would I was just kind of having a blast going through it because it's so nice to see this version of Q from the last film, which was just like, yeah, here's a briefcase. It's pretty cool. Stab a guy. I don't know. See what happens. Where this one is showing him around the Aston Martin and getting out all these classic iconic lines. I, I thought it was a. Uh, I thought it was really great. And as you say, Sean Connery's and James Bond's reaction to it as well kind of worked. I was actually quite surprised how much of that chemistry was introduced in this film when it was just not there at all in the last one that is true i just there's something about it that was just missing for me but i suppose that's to be expected when it is is you know i in my head i've got all the the later i think i think for me it's just the actor or the cue in this scene you get you're right you get that whole pay attention bring it back never joking later on you i i see them more as being how do i i don't see them as being very friendly in this whereas late, later ones you kind of do but i might just be seeing things where it's not or i don't know i it, it's it's fine it does what it needs to as you say it kind of sets that template of 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 their relationship but i think i may be just comparing it to later like too much might, to later yeah I, I can see what you mean because there is a sense of like he's scolding bond and bonds doing his like i don't know mugging or whatever but there's almost like q knows it's pointless but he's gonna say it anyway um, yeah but i feel like that develops because there's so many of these films they kind of have to play it that way but this one we don't really know much about them it's only the third one only the second time with this q i think it does kind of make more sense that it would be you know, there isn't that implied history, although there's a little bit of implied history, but they don't have to play that angle of like, well, I know you're going to break it. Um, to me, it's not Q until Bond tries to take his sandwich and Q angrily <laughs> snatches it back. That's the Q scene I most remember from the whole franchise. <laughs> that is a great scene, to be fair. So I don't blame you. So everything up to this point is just a prelude until the sandwich scene. <laughs> sandwich scene so what to me is not so much of a great scene is what follows this one oh we because... we got to talk about the car joe oh the aston martin oh okay so quite interesting for this film where last time it was a briefcase which turned out to be very good this time the gadget that q is showing him is the aston martin uh d5 i hope i wrote that down right <laughs> is it the db5 d5 yeah yeah oh yeah db5 yeah db5 yeah and all the gadgets pretty well not all the gadgets but most of the gadgets that bond gets in this are just different kind of parts of the car where there's the ejector seat there's i actually didn't write them down but we see them later but it's basically this car that's all kind of jacked up and it is i'm not a car person i can't drive i refuse to drive because i can't and the government won't let me because i refuse to learn it's a whole thing um (laughs) but even just seeing this car i'm like it's so cool it's so cool and it's so interesting that straight away they switch the gadgets up from being something so like yeah here's a briefcase that can hold some cool stuff to no here's a really expensive nice looking car with like machine guns or no is it machine guns yeah it is machine guns yeah just like weaponry in this car like there's a huge jump to this film in terms of the gadget bond gets 
It starts off relative. Well, I can't actually remember the order that they show in the film, but I mean, you revolving license plates. Okay, yeah, Bond travels around the world. That kind of makes sense. GPS thing. Yeah, that's quite that's that's useful. That would be what a spy would need. Then he starts. Hang on, the slashing tire things. Okay, so guns. Okay, bulletproof. Yeah, and then yeah, obviously the ejector seat at the end. I think for me, the problem with this is your is what you said is that. The gadget in this film is the car. And that kind of just, they've put all their eggs in one basket in the same way they put all the eggs in the basket for the attaché case in the last film, I suppose. Um, But what that means is that really a lot of Bond using gadgets kind of runs out by halfway in the film. Um, So much as in that's when he does not have the car anymore. And, And so they like every opportunity they are showing the car doing something and i suppose i would prefer more variety i know that's a bit hypocritical having what said you know what i said about the previous film but and also maybe i'm just not a car person really um but yeah i i think it's hard to dislike it because it's such an iconic symbol of the franchise and i i do still enjoy seeing it it's a cool looking car as you say um, I wouldn't mind having one, but mm. wink, wink, hint, hint. <laughs> yeah, Barbara Broccoli. If you're hearing this, mm. <laughs> or the other one, Michael, something. Um, yeah, I just, <laughs> Wilson. I just, <laughs> Wilson. That's right. G yeah. Wilson. <laughs> I'm definitely not going to get one now. <laughs> yeah, Michael's. Or yeah, don't don't expect a callback from He's Mikey from Mickey, as I call him. Oh, oh, Mickey G. Yeah, oh, Mickey G. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just think, I just think for me. The car gadgets were—they um, weren't great. They weren't great. I'm just going to say it. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I, I love this car, and I love seeing the car, and I love seeing Bond driving it. But I think what worked really well about From Russia with Love is that you had this briefcase, and you didn't really know when he was going to use it, but he always had a briefcase on him. Like, there was just a briefcase there because it's just something that Bond carries. He goes to the hotel room. He goes, you know, wherever he goes, he just has this little briefcase with him. Mm. So it's like, I, I'm sure, like, there's something there. Uh, like, Albert Hitchcock has a, a word for this. But it's like, it's something that's got this presence where you know something's going to happen with it, but you don't know when. And that's kind of exciting. So even if the payoff to, like, Bond using the knife is, I'm just going to stab this guy. Like, it's still nice to see that payoff because you've had it explained and you see it throughout the film. With all the gadgets being as part of the car, and I know there is a gadget that isn't, but we'll get to it. But with all the main gadgets being part of the car, it it becomes too mechanical, the payoff. Because you know the situation he's going to be in. He's going to be driving a car. And someone else is going to be driving a car. So he's just going to hit the button, and then that's going to mess up the other car. (laughs) And guess what? That's exactly (laughs) what happens. Like, there's no guesswork. There's no tension, or not tension's the wrong word, but there's no anticipation of saying, oh, what's Bond going to do here? As soon as he gets in a car chase, he just hits a button, and he wins. And then they all move on. So it's like, it... You know, it's a subtle difference. You know, I think face value would say these two types of gadgets are working the exact same way. But when you look at it a little bit more, I feel like, yes, there's clear difference. And even though the briefcase is just a briefcase, I think that's a way better gadget than anything we see in this film with the with the Aston Martin. I think you hit the nail on the head. That's probably what I was trying to explain poorly. But yeah, and I think 
<laughs> yeah, you're never going to see Bond whip out the Aston Martin really quickly in the middle of a scene. So, yeah, yeah. there's just no guesswork. There's no like, oh no, Goldfinger's here. Let me just get my trusty Aston Martin. <laughs> let me. I've parked it down the road, Goldfinger. Let me just. Let me give just me five minutes. <laughs> yeah, and it also means that halfway through the film, it just goes because yeah. of due to the way it ha- plays out, we get some decent scenes with it. But at a certain point, the car just disappears. And for most of this film, the car's not in it. So the the other gadget, uh, which is a tracker, basically right. James, James yes. Bond gets a little tracker, which does become an important part of the film, but it's not a very exciting part of the film or very interesting part of the film, where he can just has a little tracker on him and it means that MI6 or whoever needs to track him can track him. And he can kind of put that in its shoe, which is a, a more practical kind of gadget but again like it doesn't really it's a part of the film yes but there's no payoff it's not very interesting it's just bond they know where he is so there's especially no payoff for that gadget in this film which annoyed me but you know anyway yeah um so yeah the next scene i'm just gonna say the whole the whole section at the golf course i think i wrote down one thing for this whole scene which i think is kind of indicative of my thoughts towards this and that is it's just it's so yeah bond goes to a golf course where um where goldfinger is playing uh to basically find out more about the the character and um and abate him with this nazi gold which always makes you think of mr burns for some reason <laughs> no, i'm sure there's a quote with nazi gold in there but anyway um yeah he has this kind of bar of uh nazi gold that he he uses as a bit of a wager in this um, game of golf against Goldfinger. And so they're, they're playing a round of golf. And yeah, the, as I say, I wrote down one thing for this because yes, you're getting more, you're getting more of a character study of, of Goldfinger. You find out once again that he, he really does like to cheat. He likes to win. And so he like you know, he has to cheat. But it just sort of gets a bit bogged down in in an actual game of golf. Like they just find it. They're just, they're just trying to find their ball in the rough. And <laughs> that, was a, that was so good. I love that cut. So overall, I really like this scene. Uh, so I'm going to go against you a little bit here. But yeah, there's a shot where at hole 17 they hit the ball. Or James Bond hits the ball. It's a nice shot. Goldfinger hits it, and it goes in the rough. And then it just cuts to all four of them in the long grass, being like, "Where's the ball? I can't find the ball." It seems like a like it does seem like a comedy little sketch. Like there's a point to it, but it's like what you would do where it's the things that films normally cut out. Like in the same way that films don't show people going to the toilet <laughs> and eating. <laughs> it's like usually they would cut this stuff out, but no, they're going to show everyone looking in long grass, be like, well, I can't find this thing. I don't it's know. It's around here somewhere. Oh. Yeah, we saw it go this way. But again, there is a point to it. But yeah, the edit of that scene makes it actually really quite funny. So you, you, quite, you like this scene? So I like the scene, uh, I think, because I love golf. I can't get enough of golf. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Nazi gold as well. So it's a two for, for me, this one. Oh. But no, I really like it because we already know that Bond and Goldfinger have a, a slight kind of relationship. And we already know Goldfinger hates losing and that Bond is going to antagonize him. We already have a version of that set up. So it's nice to kind of see this play out. And in terms of a film which is about 
basically Bond versus Goldfinger, it's nice to have them have this competition against each other that actually has some stakes but you know in the grand scheme of things it's not world ending or anything like that it's a it's a much smaller competition between the main two characters which then becomes about them to trying to outsmart each other because goldfinger is cheating and bond knows he's cheating so he kind of uses that against him and i think it just builds on the relationship really well you know you could argue that we've already done a, a bit of that with the miami scene but i think this really hammers it home and you get an introduction to Odd Job as well, which helps. And it's just a really nice payoff to have Bond cheat Goldfinger in that way and Goldfinger get wound up. So I think in terms of building these characters, them their relationship, I think the scene was actually quite successful. I just thought it was a bit too long, personally. Maybe I'm yeah, just not maybe. a fan of golf. Although I, I do like, I did like Wii Golf, but that's probably a different thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I just thought it was a bit too long. And it's like, yeah, I get what you're trying to do here. You're right. We do see Odd Job and we see another iconic, what has since become a bit of a cliche, um, the 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 bowler hat with a with a metal rim. I don't know, strong enough to decapitate a stone statue, which is all well and good. But oh, and also the um, Bond Bond's assistant, whoever that character is, yeah. <laughs> It's just I don't know something about that guy and his his accent. I'm not I'm not saying his accent is inherently funny, but it's just a very. It's just like who is this guy? Who is this man that suddenly turned up in the film? <laughs> We're gonna really get chummy. him bond me and yeah. you. <laughs> suddenly it's like I could I could see the whole film with these two. <laughs> is this quarrel? Is this our quarrel? <laughs> well, yeah. If only. If only. Yeah, I, I think I get what you mean, and I think this. The fact that this film or this scene, sorry, goes on for too long ties into what I was saying earlier, where this is a slower paced film because it's more simplified. But I think it might actually be longer than uh, From Russia with Love, potentially. I'm not too sure. It's definitely around there, if not a little bit longer. Uh, but yeah, I really like the competition between those two. And as you say, we get Odd Job. It, it's a little bit weird as well because Bond is just like antagonizing Goldfinger. And then Goldfinger kind of brings Odd Job over and Odd Job to intimidate bond throws his hat and it hits mm-hmm. the statue and then the top of the the statue head then slides off in this clean cut and i think the rules of this hat and what it's all about are never clear probably consistent so yeah not consistent uh, and i think that might be somewhat intentional i guess just so the hat can do whatever the hat needs to do but it's not very <laughs> intimidating to be honest i think it was much more intimidating a little bit after where bond in actually quite a funny moment i felt like oh here's your ball back basically exposing to odd job or t- telling odd job basically yeah i know you cheated so i cheated you right back and then odd job just crushes the golf ball in his hand yeah and then and then they drive away i felt like that was a little bit more effective than uh we're gonna throw this hat and it's gonna attack this statue <laughs> Yeah, setting up that the character is like a superhuman human strength or just at least very, very strong to crush a golf ball rather than throwing his hat. What does he do when his hat's been thrown? He has to go over and pick it up. That's not very intimidating. <laughs> Which I don't know if they show that because obviously he does throw it and it doesn't come back. They do a little bit when Tilly Masterson gets hit with it, but it, yeah. it's not done in like an awkward way that it actually would be. But, oh, yeah, and also the character is mute. 
Well, at least he's meant to be mute, but he does Somewhat sort of grunt mute, yeah. every now and then, um, which I, I suppose is meant to kind of add to the creepiness of it, kind of like Jaws. You know, it's it's a thing that we've come to see quite a lot. But um, yeah, Oddjob, I'm not the biggest fan of Oddjob, sorry. Yeah, it's a tricky one of Oddjob because I, I definitely wouldn't say I dislike the character, but... I, yeah, definitely a little bit more mixed after watching this film. He does have a presence to him and his design is very distinct and unique and I really kind of appreciate that about him. But again, it's there's there's not many scenes where I'm like, oh no, odd, like he, there's no tension there. Where with Jaws, say, when Jaws gets right up close to you, you know what's going to happen. And you're like, oh God, like there's there's something there. You feel something. With Odd Job, it's just kind of a guy in a hat. And you know it's strong, but it's just the it's like the fat controller coming up to you. You're like, okay, well you you look I know what you look like. <laughs> but I'm not really afraid of you, I'm afraid. Uh, yeah, especially when, as we said, the hat is very inconsistent with what it does. Is it gonna decapitate me? Is it just gonna knock me out? Um and I think what we will see later on, actually at the end of the film, with Bond and Odd Job, I think that's really what kind of seals the deal for me, not really liking the character. But anyway. That's at the end of the film. Um, so yeah, Bond Bond wins just about through some cheating of his own against uh, Goldfinger's cheating. And that doesn't really, I mean, I think, but yeah, at the end of the scene, Gold, Goldfinger kind of just knows what Bond is up to. Doesn't really do anything about it though. Just kind of warns him and then drives off. Oh, well, he throws the, he gets the hat for it. He gets the hat throw as a, as a little warning. In his head, problem solved. He'll never come back again. But uh, Bond actually put the tracker on Goldfinger's car so he can track where they're going. And it turns out that they're flying their car to... Is it Geneva? Yeah. Geneva. In yeah. Switzerland. In Switzerland. And so we get the next next um, section of the film. Quite a long time spent in Geneva, actually. And this, again, is another part of the film which I find really quite forgettable. Well, something that does start off, and uh, I'll mention it because I think this is the second time this has happened. We got a instrumental version of the Goldfinger theme play. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there was a version before, but as they go to Geneva, we get this string version of it instead. And it's really nice to hear like all the instrumental versions or part of the score when they use the theme. It sounds great. I love it. Um, and it's really nice to kind of hear it throughout the film where the last two films we've basically just got the James Bond film played like seven eight times in all these random trans uh yeah transition scenes and this time having Goldfinger and having different versions of that theme play it just makes so much more sense and it really does hammer that uh, theme of Goldfinger and his presence kind of being everywhere because when you hear that theme in your head you're just like Goldfinger, <laughs> and then you're like, "Oh yeah, Goldfinger, that guy, Shirley um, Bassey, she's here." Yeah, she's, she's... <laughs> nice to have you on, Shirley. Yeah, um, no worries. One of the things I actually wrote about this uh, Goldfinger at the end, and I do maintain this, and kind of what you're saying is, I think one of the best things about it is the music and the score. Oh, I it's think, fantastic! I think ever since Doctor No, they've just got better and better. Um, and this one, yeah, by far the best in terms of score. As you say, these sort of different. It's what you come to expect later on in Bond films, where it's a sort of slight, it's a different interpretation of the main theme, maybe more as an instrumental, as a background, um, and you're seeing it here. And it's just great. It's one of the things that stood out to me watching this film was the music. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I kind of have to agree with what you're saying about this being a little bit more forgettable. It's, It's interesting because we spoke a lot about 
Dr. No and from Russia with Love really being about Bond going to this place and showing it off almost and how it's got this exotic feel. This is the film I feel like they abandoned that because they go to, well, I guess Bond's in England. Well, he's in America, I guess, but that's very quick and they don't really do anything with Miami because he spends the whole time by a pool, basically. And then they go to Switzerland and then again they go back to America. But we just don't get that same sense of Bond being a fish out of water exploring this place. Instead, we get some a very amazing shots of Switzerland. And something I do like about this scene is that it's a lot of driving, Bond driving his car, Goldfinger being driven around by odd job, and the other woman who comes into the scenes. But you get a lot of amazing shots showing these like big green hills as part of the mountains of Switzerland. And I was like, that was really cool. But apart from that, that's all you get. That you might not even know it was Switzerland. If they didn't even mention it, you wouldn't even know he's left England, if I'm being honest with you. <laughs> um, so it, this is something that noticed to me where it's like, yes, these shots look amazing and they did kind of take advantage of where they are in terms of that side of things. But in terms of the plot and what happens, no, that has been completely abandoned. In terms of Bond going to like a, the Hague or whatever it was in Istanbul, just kind of for its own sake, that has pretty much co- like gone down the toilet for this film. That's quite sad, actually, isn't it? Because you're right. Those those first two films, Jamaica and, and Istanbul, um, they're sort of almost sort of like a little love letter of of those. It's 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 like a tourist <laughs> video in a way of showing you these these cities and these countries, and because it is focused on just those places, you have time to explore and actually get a taste of the situation and the place Bond is in. I knew nothing about. I didn't come out of this thinking, "Oh, that was a really that was a really cool thing about Geneva." I mean, yeah, you you have the shots of the hills, but that is it. Because then it goes straight to Goldfinger's smelting factory, which is just a factory. Um, and yeah. I think that I think that you're right. Like, I can't really think of any other film now where. I mean, I guess we'll we'll see. Maybe I'm just misremembering, but I don't really think there's any other Bond film that kind of focuses so much on one place anymore that that's gone it is now all about the globe trotting just spectacle of, of all these different places in one one film yeah completely it's like even then i think they could have done it with the fact that they have two locations but switzerland is just a place for bond to go and infiltrate this like the smelting operation that's it that's all it is and it didn't quite have to be that way and with the slower pace of the film you kind of think it, i think it's again a part of what makes this film quite forgettable because the whole part of switzerland after you've watched this film it's like you don't think of it do you you think of america and fort knox and you think of that section of the film because switzerland even though it's where it's taking place it's just just doesn't matter it's just a place where he drives around and that's your lot I think I want to go visit Fort Knox now. Do you think they'll let me in? I think I think it's worth a go. I mean, you're right. They spend they spend way more time, and there's a lot more visual elements to Fort Knox, which is a it's a cool it's, you know it's a cool place. The idea of it, but <laughs> it's just when you have you've been to Geneva and you have that as an opportunity as well, it does seem a bit of a waste. Yeah. Uh, so this scene, in terms of how it plays out, so Bond is following Goldfinger at the moment. So a woman then drives past very fast, overtakes Bond. Bond then goes to chase her, 
and then stops and says to himself discipline 007 discipline and i took that as him saying m like pretending to be m a little bit because mm-hmm. it was a bit yeah. weird he called himself 007 but of course that's what m would have called him which is what i was referencing before where there is a callback in terms of bond having his hand slapped and then coming back to earth and not being so cocky this is where it takes place doesn't happen again doesn't really have any impact because very shortly afterwards the woman comes back and then he does like attack her basically so it's like whatever um but then yeah bond goes to follow goldfinger goldfinger stops i don't know why so bond stops and then someone tries to shoot at bond and then bond gets down and then they they get in the cars and and continue the very slow paced chase i guess chase seems a bit generous uh bond's just following them for the time being yeah it's it's a uh, it's and this this is the part i mentioned earlier on about the whole fast forwarding time remapping thing they did with the film um they do it again here when he eventually sort of causes her to crash off the the road and uh do an awkward sort of speed up as she hits the the steering wheel which is fine but um you you do at least get you get a little bit of the gadgets now on display. I mean, you've had the tracking already, but uh, you get the uh, the tire, well, whatever they are, blades on the tire. Yeah, like um, metal. Yeah, I don't know what you would call them. Don't know what you call them, but they just slash the side of her car, and that's what caused her to to veer off. Um, I I kind of, as I say, I completely forgot about this character um, in the film before watching, and in fact, I didn't. I was actually, uh, when it was revealed who it was, I was like, oh, right, oh, oh, okay. Because I, I just completely forgot that that was the sister of the character we'd seen earlier on who was uh, covered in gold paint. Um, but I don't, this is what I mean where they sort of, I feel like it's a bit of a wasted opportunity because, yeah, the idea is we find out that the lady wasn't actually taking a shot. Um, well, actually, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But yeah, you're yeah, jumping ahead it, a bit. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but but with this character wasted wasted yeah so what happens here is that there's a bit of a car chase and yeah as you say bond then uses one of his gadgets to attack this woman's car and drive her off the road i don't know why i mean it's kind of implied with the rest of the film that he's he's like oh an attractive woman now's my chance (laughs) like this is just how he thinks flirting works i guess this (laughs) because it's like it's insane but then uh, gives her a lift to the next uh, petrol station so then she can go get her, herself sorted out. And then it's just back to Bond doing his thing. Uh, one thing I did notice, well, first of all, the car looks amazing in these shots. I already said the car looks great, but in these shots in particular, it looks great. But the the radar that he has on the car, because Bond is tracking them with the radar kind of system that Q gave him, but the radar is just like a map. Yeah, that he's looking at, and it's like, how does that work? Did he bring like a load of maps of Switzerland before he came? Um, I always just took this as it was, it, it was tech that was just just completely unfeasible at the time. It was pretty much like a screen because later on, I think it's the CIA agents actually scroll the map over. Yeah. So I just presumed, oh, it's just you know, it has everywhere on it. <laughs> it's just cues his brilliance so yeah I, I i jumped ahead a little bit but he he drops her off at the garage hmm. and and am i right in thinking he slashed he did the whole slashing thing because he thought 
she was the one that tried to shoot him, right? No, he doesn't know. Are you sure? I didn't I didn't think he knew. I just assumed that you know, he got shot at and it echoed everywhere. And now I'm trying to remember if there is a scene where he looks up and sees the gun. But I didn't I just... think he saw it. I maybe I, I'm wrong. But it's also odd with this scene because, okay, I took it that he had no idea or or anything like that because Odd Job then smiles. Like, you hear the gunshot, Bond jumps down and hides, and then the the person gets away. Then Odd Job turns around and is like, (laughs) shows him right, and then they drive off. So I kind of took the implication that there was another assassin or it was set up to be like Goldfinger actually knows he's being followed and is having someone try to shoot at him. And I would guess that Bond wouldn't assume that woman was the person. But I guess it would make more sense that he would know because he did drive her off the road. (laughs) So that's like more a better reason for him to do that if he thought, oh, this is the woman who tried to kill me. (laughs) Yeah, I'd like to think that's not the, the flirting technique. I read that as, yeah, it's like a bit of a red herring, basically, with the whole the whole uh, odd job thing. Because you're right, he does look over and sort of smile at the gunshot echoing around. Um, but I just assumed Bond was putting two and two together of that having just happened and seeing that car race by him. So okay. there was a was a justification in ramming her off the road and potentially I, I killing I think her. you're right. That's not how I took it, but I think you're right. But then it does go to, like, the, the result of that is, yeah, he takes her to a garage. And I, I guess he does... What does he learn from that? I don't really know. I know he looks at the box and sees the initials. And and because there's also that line about because um, he kind of knows that there's a gun in there, but he she says it's ice skates or something like that. And he's like, oh, yeah. I don't think there was snow there at this time of year. So, yeah, I think the implication is definitely there. Um, but then he just sort of leaves her at the side of the garage and, and gets on with um, the factory. Right. Yes. So after yeah. he drops them off, he then drives, fight, they catches up to where it says Goldfinger is, parks up somewhere, and then goes and sits in the trees. And then it fades to Bond in the same spot, but this time it's at night, so we get a, a, a scene I quite like to start with. It's nice to see this bar- parallel from the very opening scene where we see Bond at night doing kind of spy sneaking, which is, I always appreciate these type of scenes. I know I complained about the opening scene, but now we have some actual context for Bond being a spy, for Bond being undercover, for Bond trying to track down Goldfinger and see what's going on and get some information. For me, like it it helps massively. Um, So I always like the atmosphere that these nighttime scenes uh, have. Well, it's actually one thing that stood out to me with this scene. So, yeah, he's infiltrating Goldfinger's place at night and obviously it's dark, but there's lights and shadows everywhere and you see the shadows of the the workers that are coming around corners and things. It's very, very, very basic stuff, but it works. It, it I found myself, like, oh, it's actually quite tense. Like, oh, you know, running away from something and just making it up at the ladder in time. Really, really basic things. But that I found much more entertaining than like any of the the car and the driving and the the gadget stuff it like you say is bond just doing what a spy does and and spying <laughs> looking through uh the grates of the building and overhearing conversations but sometimes simple is is best yeah i mean the music does a lot of heavy lifting here as well as we've said the music's fantastic and you get some very tense music here which works really well 
But we haven't seen this before, I don't think. Like, yes, there was the Doctor No stuff where he kind of broke in, but he got captured straight away, basically. But this is kind of, I think, the first time we've seen this very real Bond undercover at night breaking into what's clearly a big operation with a load of people with guns and, and things like that. And that's that's cool to see. It feels like a very natural setting for Bond. So at least initially at the beginning of the scene or the first half of it, I I definitely like it. Yeah. And and it does actually have a payoff as well in that he uh, overhears the conversation about Operation Operation Grand Slam. Great name. You got to give it to Goldfinger. He has some good names um, for his megalomaniacal plans. Um, and actually, and and Bond makes it out like he actually he actually does it. Like <laughs> he's actually successful. He infiltrates. He overhears, and he comes back out. It's like great way to go. Uh, but then it doesn't really last long because then. He's back up in the trees. I did wonder, also, you said about that shot where it's like he's in the trees and it turns to night. What was he doing? What was he doing for that time? I would guess smoking. Just smoking. Smoking and just pondering the world. <laughs> was that massive smoke cloud over by the hill? <laughs> Fire. Ah, <didn't> <laughs> Fire. <yeah. laughs> anyway, yeah, he goes back up to the trees. Um, almost gets caught, I think, but then spots that there's another another person there. Um, I don't think he almost gets caught. He hears a sound. He, he, yeah, like there's someone walking behind him. You see, like a very vague, shadowy figure walk behind. Yeah, so he, like ducks down. But uh, then we get the revelation that the person there is the woman, the woman from the car um, in, the, in the chase scene, the chase scene, if you want to call it that. Um, <laughs> who is Tilly Masterson, Bill Masterson's sister, who is there for revenge against Goldfinger, and obviously. Bond wants Goldfinger alive. She wants him dead. And this, yeah, I can finally get to this point now, which is like they have this idea of the sister wanting revenge. Bond is kind of really in now on this this uh, family, right? <laughs> There's two sisters. And yeah. there, there is potential there now to have some sort of emotional resonance with the fact that he was pretty much the cause of the sister dying. And it just doesn't it just doesn't go anywhere and i think i mean it's not she's not really a not very interesting character this tilly masterson she's very one note she just wants revenge but there could have been more there she doesn't last much longer unfortunately which is part of the reason why um so yeah i don't know i just think wasted opportunity yeah i mean we've seen this with every single film right where they kind of have all the ingredients and the proper setups for a good Bond girl where she's still the pretty woman for Bond to seduce or whatever, but also is kind of an interesting character and has a backstory and has motivations and things like that. And doesn't need to go through a lot of character development. You know, it can be very basic. We're not looking for that. You know, if we wanted to watch a character drama, that's what we'd be watching. But we do kind of expect that Bond would be a little bit more simplified. I wouldn't focus so much on that stuff. But all the ingredients are there. They just never put them together. And I think the real reason for it in this film is because... Pussy Galore then shows up later and she's meant to be the main Bond girl. So this character who could have been the main Bond girl and could have had a storyline that kind of connects to everything in the film just kind of gets pushed aside. Although I will say in this scene, so she has a gun and then I think Bond grabs her, gives her the old classic Bond shake 
um and it's like what are you doing why do you want to kill me and then she says i wasn't trying to kill you i was trying to kill goldfinger i just missed massively but her acting is so bad mm. like it's this might be the worst bit of acting we've seen so far in the franchise wait worse than the doctor no photographer yes i oh. i think for me it was that where she was just i i, I can't even do the accent it was like i want to kill him and it's like oh, it's so bad like for the photographer was bad but this woman here is supposed to be trying to assassinate the man that killed her sister so from that context it's just awful like it just doesn't convey any of those emotions it should convey and it seems so insanely amateur at least the woman in dr no is just like a whatever character who's just like taking pictures and it's just meant to be like trying to make some money this is like a proper character that they've written and she's so bad like oh this oh no <laughs> no <laughs> it's okay you... she's gone now tom well well yeah I'll well yeah in a, in a few minutes in a few minutes anyway because uh, <laughs> they, they go into the aston martin and another chase scene lots of chase scenes early on in this film i'd say the mm. first half of this film very car heavy which yeah. if you like cars is great but um i can't remember this isn't no i'm tr- i'm getting mixed up this isn't the bit with the ejector seat just yet that's afterwards yeah that's what that's the crazy thing here so basically she shoots the gun and they're like oh you're over there and then they all go and chase but we have like two maybe even three chase scenes i'm not too sure it's like very stop and start so initially it's bond and jill's sister because i can't remember her name driving away from an insane amount of people in cars and i think they're going for some comedy here because the cars are so insanely packed full of people. Mm. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah. And they're all like hanging out, pointing and waving. And like, it is a bit, yes, yeah, it is a bit farcical. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's meant to be comedic. Like, I think it's supposed to be like, look at all these kind of people just crazily filling uh, these cars and just act so crazily going after Bond. I think it's meant to be uh, better. And we get some more rear projection, which I actually thought wasn't too bad. Uh, I don't think it was no. as good as that Dr. No one, but I think they knew we should stop shooting these scenes by having the camera right in front, directly pointed at the actors. So what we get this time is rather than having it right in front, pointing directly at Sean Connery, they put it at a little bit of an angle. So there's like more of the car and the characters blocking the reprojection. So it's not quite as in your face as it was in uh, some of those scenes in Dr. No. Yeah, and I think the fact it's at night probably hides a lot of crimes as well. Mm. Um, just, you know, keep it darker, just get the headlights in the background and you sort of get the impression it it, it sells it. Um, and then you get some more gadget use. You get like a, is it like a slick, oil slick that he uses? So, yeah, it's a few. The first one is just smoke, I think, mm-hmm. uh, where he just... And this is what I was saying before about how these gadgets are just kind of a little bit lame. He's being chased, so he just hits the buns. So for the first car that's behind him, it's just a load of smoke. And they're like, oh, smoke, and just kind of crash into trees, I think. Mm -hmm. That happens. Yeah, no, I get that. That that makes sense to me. Smoky Mm -hmm. trees. The second one is the oil slick, I believe. I put red paint because I didn't know what it was. <laughs> For a guy that you said oil slick, that makes way more sense. That's dastardly red paint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's red. No. 
<laughs> Not the red vein. <laughs> and this also has another amazing moment, similar to oh. what we had in Doctor No, where the guy slips. He slightly goes off the road to the top of a cliff and then just instantly like just explodes. Like it's such a big explosion. But it's like from nothing. <laughs> like it's so good. Like I thought the Doctor No one was silly, and it was. But this one is just like he barely goes off the road and it's a massive explosion. Um and it's it's so silly, it's good. It comes back for sure. I almost wonder, like, did it prematurely go off? Because you're right, it's just, it's, it's so, it's comically fast how quickly it, it explodes. <laughs> it's just, again, a far, far greater massive, like, huge fireball <laughs> from nothing, from literally nothing, from yeah. a bit of oil. I love. There was it. more that, justification that was in Doctor No for that explosion than this one. Yeah, I mean, at least that rolled down the hill a little bit. You could you could argue it hit something and chipped like a spark. But no, this one, it just slightly veered off. Instant. Yeah, just, oops. Oh, <laughs> dead. <laughs> Terrible dead. design for a car. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then to wrap up this uh, chase scene, or this one, Bond stops. And I, I don't quite know what his plan is here. Does he stop because it's a dead end? I think so. It must be, so. right? Yeah. So he stops and then he starts shooting uh, and basically tells the woman, get out of here, run, which I guess that's something. It, it seems a bit stupid to do that in hindsight, but whatever. Uh, he gets run and then the hat comes out. Odd job steps out of a car, throws the hat, hits the woman. Initially, she just kind of falls down. And I put, is this hat set to stun? I'm pretty confused. And then they all come over and say, like, oh no, she's dead. That hat killed her. As I say, yeah, very inconsistent hat. Maybe it's just Oddjob is so talented with it. He knows, you know, how to throw it to kill, uh, how to throw it to decapitate. It's, it's He really is a master of the hat. So yeah, it's like him. across the body throw for a stun, I think. But you kind of got to... Put put your hips into it more and come outwards, I think, is the, the kill <laughs> shot. <laughs> oh, you've been studying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, she, unfortunately, Tilly doesn't really last very long. And you sort of get a few seconds of Bond looking sad. Um, but no time for that, because back to the, back to the factory. And I want to say, uh, you're right, this was like... What was the plan here? Because they are behind a bulletproof vehicle and then run into the open. I think he does say something, run run to somewhere, but I'm, I didn't catch what he said. At any rate, I don't think it would have made much sense anyway. Just an excuse to get rid of that character now. Kind of outstayed her welcome, I imagine. But kind of a, kind of a bit, again, a bit crap, a little bit lame. And then it's followed by, as you say, a very, very similar scene. It's almost just like a little interlude, basically, between yeah. one long car chase, because you get another car chase straight after this. Yeah, so they do something very bizarre where they've captured Bond. They're like, You've, we've killed your girlfriend. Bond's like, it's not my girlfriend. And he's like, well, she's dead, so let's all move on. Um, they don't actually say that, but yeah, it's meant to be a little <laughs> bit somber. Yes, it's meant to. But then they make Bond drive the Aston Martin, and then... Even though they have a comical amount of guards, they only put one guard in the car to stop him. And then they have him drive with an escort back to the base. And I think 
the real reason for this is because they wanted an ejector seat scene in the Q branch. They set out where it's like, Bond, you're going to be able to eject your passenger seat. So rather than finding a natural way of having that happen, they simply have this chase stop and then have this capture scene just so Bond can eventually escape with this to then carry on with the chase scene. It's it's very clumsy. Very clumsy. I would have always preferred if he just used it on Tilly by mistake. Now that would have been good. Yeah, then she dies. <laughs> Whoops. That's the kill two birds with one stone then. That's that's two sisters. <laughs> Whoops. That's just a malfunction. Two sisters uh, with one stone, as they say. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Um yeah, and and actually, and it would be okay. Well, it wouldn't be okay, but it would be a little bit more digestible palatable i think as well i was trying to think of there if the actual ejector seat was was cool and looked cool but it really doesn't it looks crap it barely goes over the car and it's from so far away because it's obviously like a dummy it's just bad it's just all bad i really don't like it but does the old woman at the checkpoint does that save it for you (laughs) tom it's like you are literally here reading my notes my notes went as follows ejector seat kind of lame Old lady with guns makes up for it. <laughs> <That's actually laughs> Two thumbs up. <laughs> that bit, that bit saved it right at the end because I, I, I did think, why have they, why are they focusing on this old lady for? What's all this about? Ah, there it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So they, when they get back to the base, the gate is being manned by this old woman who's like making dinner or something like that, and she's just made up to the, be this sweet old woman. And she raises the gate and lets everyone through. But as soon as Bond tries to escape, the old woman instantly switches, get a machine gun out and shoots at the car. It's like, it it knows it's being silly, right? It's one of them. Like, it knows it's stupid. It knows it's trying to have a joke. It's really surprising to see this kind of joke in this film or in a, a Bond film so early. Because to me, it seems like a very... I don't know, overdone joke, I suppose, and maybe it comes from this, but I swear I've seen the exact same gag in many other like comedy films. And, mm, and I mean, it made like me that. think of uh, Hot Fuzz, for example, at the end of yeah, Hot Fuzz, yeah. <laughs> all the old people getting out their guns. Exactly the same sort of gag. But uh, I don't know, it still, it still tickles me, so it's fine. I'll let it off. Uh, and then Bond, as he's trying to escape, he can't go through that gate, I think, because of the old woman, something like that. So he ends up going inside the warehouse. And I actually did really like the contrast of seeing the Aston Martin drive around in this more claustrophobic space and the way it sounded and things like that. They did try to kind of mix it up and have this be a little bit different. It's still clumsy in having these two scenes, but it was definitely cool seeing that. It actually reminded me a little bit of, I think it was Tomorrow Never Dies that has a the scene when they're driving up the car park something like that oh yeah um and it reminded me a bit of that and it did look cool like having this uh, car driving for a factory where it's all dark as well and things like that now i don't understand what happens here where he's driving down a, a long straight and then sees some lights and then he crashes his car because of the lights i am so glad that you're saying this because I think I've said this before, but I had the exact same um, thought. I actually had to go back and rewatch this a number of times to try and grasp what was going on. So you're right. Bond is driving down this particular part of the factory. You can see him sort of like glaring, trying to look through his windscreen, which is covered in 
bullet holes and everything. And there's these lights ahead of him, which he's worried about crashing into. And I, I guess, yeah, the, the idea is he thinks it's another car that's not moving out of the way. So at the like, by, by the time it gets so close, he just, for some reason, veers straight into the wall because he's dazed and confused. I don't know why, blinded. And that then leaves enough time for Oddjob to come up and uh, and obviously get him. But then they have this shot of Oddjob next to the Bonds crashed Aston Martin looking over, looking at a mirror. So then I was thinking, well, so what? Is the idea that it was meant to be a, a carefully angled mirror at the end of this little road bit which reflects <laughs> onwards and it was Bond's own reflection he was he was driving towards and that's what threw him off, which in itself I think, okay, it's different, I suppose. But then it's, why is there this mirror here? <laughs> like, it's it, I shouldn't need to go back and watch something twice. Maybe I'm just dumb. Well, no, because you said the same thing, like... What what was the point of having that be the setup for it? I don't know. No, I Clumsy. don't know because the the thing that confused me is that it's another one of bloody odd job mugging to the camera, be like, hmm, we all according to plan. He can't <laughs> yes. speak sadly, but that's what he's thinking. Where it's like, well, no, you didn't plan that. Clearly, like you did not expect James Bond to break into your factory at all. Like, you didn't know. You didn't know that was going to happen. You don't expect anyone to come here. That's why you're in the middle of the mountains in Switzerland. Like, <laughs> and even if they did break out, you didn't expect them to have, like, their car and to enter the factory in their car. It's like, it's it's framed in a way where you're meant to be like, ah, Goldfinger and Odd Job set this all up and they got him. It was a trap and they got him. But it makes no sense whatsoever. Like, the idea of having mirrors and, you know, tricking him there... Not great, but whatever, I'll allow it. Um, but the idea that they actually set this up is like, no, no, ab- absolutely not. Absolutely not. And the fact that it causes Bond to actually crash into a car and knock himself out, it just seems like so... Unsat- it's just not satisfying at all. And I just it, I just came away confused more yeah. than anything. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. They did, they did the whole mirrors and reflection stuff way better in The Man with the Golden Gun when they actually when you're not in a car so um <laughs> i guess that was just their way of progressing the plot getting getting bond caught but done rather uh sloppily yeah i would agree yeah, you, you know all the elements they were trying to do here and they had the mission statement of we need to get all these gadgets in this chase scene and we also need to have the woman die and we also need bond to be captured in the end as well and this was their solution for it. And it just makes for a very kind of sloppy, like cool moments here and there. But like, yeah, it's kind of nice. When this is wrapped up, it's like, okay, yeah, let's actually just move on. Cool moments being just the old lady, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I yeah. meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they started with her, and then they had to write everything else around it. <laughs> we need the old lady with a gun. How? Yeah. But How? <laughs> the old lady with the gun i think it's the the bond 26 isn't it i think that's the next one they do i can't wait <laughs> <laughs> i think lulu's coming back to do the song i think hey i won't mind that she's still got it <laughs> no mm, if she ever had it that's the oh, okay and with that you have reached the end of part one of episode three of the bond revisited podcast Join myself and Joe next time where we follow Bond to America, where he meets Pussy Galore, discovers Goldfinger's master plan, with it all leading to the final assault on Fort Knox. 
thank you very much for listening and we'll see you for part two.